Let us now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. There we find a summary of God's word as follows. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, <clears throat> all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence that our, in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 65, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Lord's Day 10 deals with God's providence. In so doing, three times the hands of the Lord are mentioned. It says in the first part of answer 27 that God still upholds his creation with his hands. And in the very last line, it states that all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. In the next answer, we are told that all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. It's a wonderful thing that the Catechism stresses God's hand in connection with God's providence. For the hands of a father and mother have great significance, especially if they're people who work with their hands and who produce things with their hands. For those hands define who they are and what they are. Some of the older people in our midst may have read some of the books by Anna de Vries on Bartje. In one of these books, the author describes what happens at the deathbed of Bartje's father, who worked as a farmer in the Dutch province of Drenthe. His father had many children and was quite poor. And now Bartje, who was still quite young at this point, observes the body of his dead father, whose head had been crushed by a young horse. As she looks down on him, he cannot take his hands or his eyes off his father's hands. To Bartje, his father's whole essence, his whole identity was in those hands of his. For the rest, his father had not made much of an impact on this young boy. For his father was a man of few words, and he had somber eyes, but his whole life was engraved in those hands of his, 
And those hands represented what he stood for, what he could accomplish. Those hands spoke. For with those hands, he once spanked Barcha, but he also carried him. And those hands also saved him from drowning in a canal. And those hands worked for him and for others. And they were shaped from holding a shovel. And now those hands are at rest. And now while Bartje tries to pray, he feels ashamed for having cursed those hands that spanked him. Brothers and sisters, it is a wonderful thing that in this Lord's Day, speaking about the way God provides for us, the author emphasizes God's hands. For God's hands represent him in wonderful ways. It is also entirely scriptural to speak in this way. In Psalm 19, verse 1, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. God created all things with his hands. Psalm 104 speaks about God's hands in connection with his providence. Speaking about the way he looks after all the creatures here upon earth, it says in verse 28, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. God also provides for us, takes care of us through the use of his hands. Indeed, our very lives are in his hands. For when we die, we will say, as the Lord Jesus taught us, Father, into your hands I commit myself. Luke 23, verse 46. When we speak about God's providence, we cannot do so except to think about the hands of our Father in heaven, who is also the Almighty God who created all things. And so I preach to you this afternoon about how God provides for us by the use of his loving and powerful hands. And we will see three things. First of all, that everything is in God's hand. In the second place, that everything comes from God's hands. And in the third place, that everyone must take hold of God's hand. First then, the fact that everything is in God's hand. In answer 27, it says that God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. Those who learned the older version of the Heidelberg Catechism will remember that they learned that he upholds heaven and earth as it were by his hand. In other words, the catechism is referring us to our human experience. For in reality, we cannot speak about the hands of God as such. God is not a creature. He does not have a physical body like we do. However, the Bible speaks to us in terms and in ways that we can understand. And that is why God reveals himself in human terms. Also here, he is a God with hands. For we know what a hand can do. When we have something in our hand, then we have control over it. When you have something in your hand, you can move an object. We can throw it in the air and catch it. We can do all kinds of things with it. 
for when we have it in our hands, it's in our power. And that is why we also speak of our hands in an extended way. When we have control of a situation, then we say that we have something in hand. And now the same thing is true of God when it comes to his creation. He holds, as it were, his creation in his hand. So he can shape it and he can do with it whatever he wills. He is in complete control of it all. A very important thing to note is that the Catechism speaks here about God's almighty and ever-present power. There are a lot of things that a man cannot do with his hands or hold in his hands. And that is because a man is just not strong enough. For example, no man can hold a mountain or a tree in his hand. And he cannot control all situations. Those things are impossible for man to be able to do. But God's power is such that he can hold all of creation in his almighty hands. He can hold the whole earth. He can hold the billions upon billions of stars in his hands as well. And whatever may come along, whatever may happen, the situation never gets out of hand. There is no limit to what God can do. He is that powerful and he is that wise. But what does it mean that he upholds it? For we should not think that that is all God does. That is how some people picture it. They think of God as an artist, a sculptor, for example, who when he is finished with his creation, puts his sculpture somewhere so that he and others can look at it and admire it. God, however, does not just put his creation somewhere for him to gaze at and to marvel at. He does not just leave it in his hand either so that he can move it and look at it from all kinds of angles. No, God is busy with his creation. He continues to work with his creation with his hands. And that's quite clear from Psalm 104. That psalm describes how God is responsible not only for putting the earth and its foundations, as it says in verse 5, but also for making the springs gush forth in the valleys and to give drink to every beast of the field and to give the birds their habitations. He is the one who causes the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate. He is the one who waters the trees so that they can grow and so that the birds can build their nests in them. And he is the one who made the moon and who marks the seasons and the sun to know when to go down, as it says in verse 19. Look around you, brothers and sisters. We see the ongoing creative activity of God all around us. The well-known Psalm 139, David speaks about how well God knows every man and every woman. There is absolutely nothing hidden to him or from him. God knows us so well because he is the one who formed our inner parts. He is the one who knit him or her together in their mother's womb. Everyone who realizes that it is because of God's ongoing creative activity 
as it were, by his hand, that life, especially human life, is brought forth by him, will also stand in awe of that almighty creator. And that is why there is such a joy when a child is born. You marvel at it. And you see God's hand in it. And that is why it is also so appalling that there are men and women who have no respect for that life that God has fashioned with his hands when they abort their babies, human beings whom God has placed there in the womb of the mother. That womb of the mother should be the safest place on earth. And yet for those who do not fear God and who do not see that God is the one who holds who is responsible for bringing about all life here on earth with his almighty hand. For them, that created being is nothing more than garbage. In their sinful blindness, they destroy it. For they do not know God, and many do not want to know him either. They want to be free. They want to be free to do with their lives whatever suits them. But again, we have to look at ourselves. For we too, in many ways, disregard God as the one who makes all things possible. So often we live as if our lives, our sustenance, depends on ourselves. As if God doesn't exist. That is to say, too often we do not see that not only does God have everything in his hands, that also everything comes from his hands. That's the second point. The Catechism tells us that God so governs all things that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's quite a sentence, brothers and sisters. It's all-inclusive. We confess here that everything comes from God's hand. He is the one who provides me with everything. Do you also believe that? And you may say, of course I do. Realize, however, that when you state that, that that must then also be evident in your life, in the way you act and in the way you speak. And so let me ask you, where do you think that growth really comes from. Leave and blade, where do they come from? Well, from God, you will say. He is the one who makes things grow. But what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the growth of the crop? God or fertilizer. God or favorable soil conditions. God or the grocery store. What comes to your mind first? And what about the next statement of the Heidelberg Catechism where it speaks about rain and drought? Who do you think of first? Well, if you want to listen to the weatherman, then he will tell you about the high and the low pressure systems that are at work and what you can expect from those meteorological conditions. And so we too tend to think that it depends mainly on natural factors. It depends on which way the wind blows. But is that true? Fruitful and barren years. What comes to mind? The economic conditions. And food and drink? Well, that's what you buy in the store. 
and there's always enough food in the store, isn't there? And you can always buy food as long as the store owner or the bank manager is willing to extend you credit. And what about health and sickness? What is the first thing you think of when you think about your health? So often our first thought goes to the doctors and the hospitals with its modern equipment. We depend on those things, first of all, to make us better. And riches and poverty, well, if we can't make ends meet, there is help that can be extended to us from relatives and from the church and from the government. And you see, it is our tendency to look at human and physical resources first for our providence. God often comes in second or third or even last in our lives. It is as if he is not really in control. We treat him often as some emergency provision we can call on when all else fails. We depend on our strength and our clever devices first. But now you may wonder, is there then no place for human effort, human resources? Well, of course, but it is always ora et labora, pray or work and pray, or pray and work. For this teaching of a God as the great provider can also be used by those who are lazy and who lack insight into God's word to maintain their laziness. For they do the opposite. They expect God to bless them, even if they do not exert themselves to provide for them and their dependents. It's indeed true that God only blesses those who also use the resources that he has given them. There's a story about a village priest in a Roman Catholic country where he would customarily ride through the fields on a donkey in springtime when the farmers were seeding the soil. And one of his Roman Catholic rituals would be to pronounce the blessing of God on the acreage while the workers are working in their fields. And one time this priest came to a field of a notoriously lazy farmer. His field had not been plowed or fertilized. And the priest made his donkey run as fast as it could, and he did not pray or bless until he came to the neighboring field. When the lazy farmer came to explain, to complain, the wise priest said, God will bless only those fields that have manure on them. It is true that God is the one who makes rain to fall and plants to grow, but he has also ordained conditions that are favorable to rainfall, plant growth, human health, and so on, but he has assigned certain responsibilities to man in these processes. But you may still say, well, how does all this help me? What use is it to me that I know these things? For it appears to me not to make really that much difference whether I'm a Christian or not. What applies to a believer also applies to an unbeliever. If a lazy unbeliever does not work, he will not eat either. And the same kind of calamities and disasters and blessings that accrue to the believers also accrue to the unbelievers. It makes no difference, so it appears. Asaph in Psalm 73 complains about that very fact. 
He accuses the God of Psalm 73 of injustice. He says to God that he gives to the unrighteous, but that the righteous are left wanting. He says in verse 12 and 13 of Psalm 73, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Asaph made the mistake of thinking that God gives material blessings only to those who belong to him. And he tries to understand that from his own human perspective. For that is how an earthly father provides for those who belong to him. An earthly father is concerned only with his own family. He gives food and shelter and clothing to them first and makes sure that they are all well taken care of before he would take care of someone else. He provides for his own family first, and rightly so. But that is not how God deals with us. For God is not concerned about our material well-being in the first place. He is concerned about our spiritual well-being. He is concerned about our eternal well-being. He gives and withholds material blessings so that he so that we will recognize his hands in all things, so that we all see his almighty power. He is able to give, and he is able to withhold. And that is a message he gives to all men. But it is only those who have God's spirit in them who understand this, for such things are spiritually discerned. It's also what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except through the Spirit of God. For you see, if you see if all things are in God's hands and from God's hands, then you also have to take his hand. That is to say, you have to trust him. And you can only do that if you understand and know his ways. We come to the third point. Ultimately, that's what it is about. He wants you to take his hand and to walk with him. He wants you to trust him as a little child trusts his mother or father. A child will put his or her little hand in her father's strong hand and know with a certainty that he or she is safe. How does such a child know that? Well, the child knows that because of the relationship that she has with her father. She has experienced his love and care throughout her whole short life. The child has observed that her father is intimately concerned about his or her welfare. The child knows that also about her mother. If you know about God and his wonderful ways, then you too know how he always cared for his people. Ever since the fall into sin, the Lord God has come to the rescue of man. Ultimately, he did that already in paradise. As soon as Adam and Eve transgressed the, command, the commandments, which caused them to deserve eternal death, he rescued them and promised the coming of a redeemer. 
And see how he rescued Noah and his family from the flood. He preserved them in the midst of an evil world. And he preserved Joseph in Egypt. And he made it so that he would be a blessing to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. And look at what God has done for his covenant people Israel. How he has preserved his people, his church throughout the ages. It is because he loves his creation. And therefore, in spite of the evil in this world, he time and again rescues his people. And he delivers on what he promises. God promised a redeemer. And he came. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to save his people. God always comes to the aid of his people. And now we can understand this statement of the Heidelberg Catechism, urging us to be patient in adversity. Noah grew up in the midst of adversity. God rescued him. Noah had to be patient. Think also of Job. He did not understand why the evil was happening to him. And he too had to be patient, and his patience paid off. And these men were all able to be patient because they knew the God, the kind of God their Father in heaven is. They also knew that he is a God who has everything in his hand. Joseph also trusted in God while he was whiling away in jail, while he was being treated unjustly also by his brothers. He trusted also in the midst of drought, and God rescued him. He knew that he has a God who has everything in his hand. And these men and these women, they all took God's hand. And they were safe in the midst of prosperity and adversity. And so we must also be thankful in prosperity. There's a warning here. There's a warning here for us not to take God for granted. A warning not to think that whatever we have received on earth is something we deserve, something we have earned with our own hands. No, God is the one who provides us with all things, and he does it in his time. And remember that it is not in the first place your efforts that will give you your provisions. No, everything depends on God. And therefore, time and again, we have to get down on our knees and ask God for his blessings. Do that before your meals. Give him thanks, for it comes from his hands. Be thankful for what he gives you. And if that is how you see God as the almighty provider who provides for you no matter what, then you can be so confident about the future as well. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, take God's hand. It is the hand of a caring and loving father. It is the hand of him who provides. It is the hand of him who has been leading and providing for his people throughout the ages. Man's hands fail. God's hands never do. For he is almighty. He alone is powerful. He alone 
knows how to give good gifts to those who belong to him through faith. Take his hand and let him lead you to the eternal riches found only in his home. Amen.